Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 13th episode of Cat Disgusted. Um, 13. I'm sure there's some kind of bad luck parameter lurking in there somewhere, which, uh, given the subject matter of today's podcast, might not be so great. Um, but I, I did want to start off the show by uh, making a little, like, pre-announcement. Like, it's like it's enough information that I want to, like, you know, say something about it, but it's not like the announcement of the finished product announcement. Uh, but that is that uh, me and a good friend of mine are working on uh, a logo for Cat Disgusted. Mm, logo might not quite be the right word. An, an image that uh, we can associate with Cat Disgusted that then I can put on, you know, mugs and t-shirts and cat collars and shower caps or whatever else Cafe Press has to offer. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, we're going to try to get that together in the next, you know, a couple weeks or so. You'll see it on the website. I'm sure I'll be totally excited about it. So I probably will have it everywhere. Uh, so that's kind of the exciting news on our front. Um, the other exciting news is our subject that we're going to talk about today on Lucky Episode 13. Um, I've often thought that I could do a whole podcast just on this because that's just how much I love this stuff. Um, so what we're talking about today is... That's a drum roll. Parasites! Oh, yes. This is going to be good. Um, parasites are way cool. Like they are something that I feel like I, I want to talk about them all the time. And I don't couldn't imagine why people don't want to talk about it with me all the time. Um, but if, if you're listening to this episode, then I feel like I can talk to you, which is so nice for me. Uh, we're mainly going to focus on uh, parasites that affect cats and dogs. Um, the, the two main ones that affect cats and dogs, there's one that's called a roundworm. And then there's one that's called a tapeworm. Um, tapeworms, I feel like more colloquially people are familiar with because of the whole, like, you know, urban legend of like people wanting to lose weight, they swallow a tapeworm, that whole type of thing. Um, but we'll, we're going to talk about both of those things, uh, on this episode, my favorite parasites. Let's talk about some worms. 
Dig it. Uh, so let's start with roundworms. So roundworms are everywhere. And I know that's not comforting, but they are. Uh, they can infect dogs, cats, rodents. Uh, there's a human roundworm specifically uh, in humans only that you can find in Africa that grows to like two and a half feet long, which is, you know, that's not disturbing or anything. Um, in fact, I've got roundworms on my desk. <laughs> There's a, a little formalin jar that I have on my desk that I um, that I, I acquired a bunch of worms from a little puppy that was in the hospital. It was staying with us because it was actually, uh, it had parvovirus, which is, I feel like that's a whole other podcast episode right there. Um, but it had parvo and it was also severely infected uh, with roundworms. And I'd never really seen them before. So my boss at the time collected a sample for me. Um, and to this day, they sit in a little formalin jar on my desk. Um, they're pretty impressive when you look at them coming out of a puppy. Um, these guys can get anywhere between like three and six inches long, even a little bit longer. Like I, I found there was a... I think it was in the Merck manual, this veterinary reference guide, it was saying they could get up to 18 inches, which is more like kind of, or 18 centimeters, which is more like kind of closer to like nine inches. So those suckers can get kind of big. Um, they're from a phylum called nematoda. And I remember listening to this uh, Science Friday uh, thing on the radio where this scientist who was obsessed with nematodes, uh, which is this this type of worm, uh, he was saying that there are so many types of nematodes in the world that can infect and live on all various creatures and surfaces of the world that if you were to take all other forms of life and make it instantaneously disappear, that you would be left with outlines of all the trees and birds and woodland creatures and humans with just outlines of nematodes. Because that's how many of them there are just around. That if, if they'd just be like silhouettes of nematodes if they were the only existing thing on earth and all life was to disappear immediately. So that too, that's a comforting image. Uh, so uh, these guys, if you're doing veterinary medicine, if you have pets at all, it's, it's likely that at some point you will deal with this problem. Um, the one that we're going to talk about today is called Toxicara canis. That's the Latin name. And um, the most... Uh, and that, that's the one that infects dogs. Uh, there is Toxicara cati, which affect cats. Um, you'll kind of see like a running theme throughout uh, whenever I talk about parasites that they are really specific. Um, and they, they like to be, they like their hosts, you know, they like to be where they want to be. Um, when parasites are in places that are not their hosts, they can cause like serious problems. Like if you have a, uh, like if you're a human that's infected with like, say a worm that's normally in a fish, that worm is going to lose its, lose its mind because it's like, you are not the same temperature as a fish, nor are you in water like a fish. And so the worm can freak out. It can burrow into tissues that it's not supposed to. Uh, so you'll, you'll see that like, there's, there's, there's definitely a, a lot of variety in parasites, but they're pretty specific as to who they live with. Uh, so Toxicara canis, canis is, you know, it's Latin dog word. So that's the one that lives in dogs. Um, the most common way that dogs will contract this particular roundworm is the fecal oral route. 
which means that the the eggs of the worm are ingested, like they eat them somehow. Um, the eggs will then hatch in the gut, and this is where it gets interesting. So you would think that like this roundworm, if you're gonna eat the roundworm eggs and it lives in your guts, that it's gonna, just gonna like hatch in the guts and then you'll poop out more worms, which is sometimes what happens. But in younger dogs, uh, it takes this really bizarre evolutionary turn. So what happens is that the dog eats the eggs um, through eating a bunch of poop that's infected with uh, with Toxicarcanus. And then the eggs hatch in the gut and the, the larva of this roundworm will travel into a blood vessel in your guts. And in the blood vessel, it goes around all the way to your lungs. And then in the dog's lungs, young dogs, young dog's lungs, it goes into their alveoli and then the puppy will cough up these larvae. And then what happens is they, they cough them up and then they swallow them and they swallow these larvae and they end up in the small intestine and that's where they hang out and that's where they mature and that's where they release their eggs. And then in severe infestations, you're going to actually pass the worms themselves, but you could just be passing the eggs as well to keep the life cycle going. Um, in older dogs, they tend to bypass that coughing method. They'll kind of go in places like their liver or they'll go, or they'll just be in their gut wall. And they kind of, they make these little cysts where they can lie dormant for a period of time time actually. And the point is that they they want to be in the guts because that's where they're going to mature and release more eggs to keep the life cycle going. Like that's that's what they want to do. They just want to make more worms. Um where this can become a problem. Now, a lot of these dogs that are infected with these roundworms are totally asymptomatic. Like they're they're just walking around being dogs like everything's cool. Um, like I said, you can see in severe cases, you can see them pass the worms themselves. But a lot of times, if it's a, if it's a mature dog, it's not even going to be sick from that. Where it can become a problem is puppies. So puppies inherently, and you'll hear lots of vets say this, puppies are inherently born with worms. Like it doesn't matter if you've dewormed the mom, puppies are born with worms. And the reason why that is, is remember when I was talking about the, the cyst that can lie dormant for a while? So in a mother dog, that cyst can lie dormant until she becomes pregnant. And now we're going to get to a couple other ways that dogs can acquire worms, these roundworms. So Toxicaricanus can be uh, transmitted to puppies through the placenta and then also through the mother's milk. So the puppies, they've got worms in them before they've even breathed oxygen. Like they can be born with worms going on because the pregnant dog, those dormant worms are like, oh, hello, look at all these little critters in here that I can get into. I'm just going to go ahead and we're just going to go ahead and have a big old party with all these puppies. So the puppies, if they didn't acquire it through the placenta, they're going to acquire it through the mother's milk. And then subsequently, which kind of blows for the mom, subsequently, she's like licking these puppies that are pooping out all these worms and ova, and if, and she's going to have an active uh, infection herself. So inevitably, you're going to have to deworm all the puppies and uh, deworm the mother as well. And puppies, because they're so small, you know, these worms, they can really overwhelm their system and they can die. Um, they can become really kind of pot-bellied. Like you see this kind of, this these puppies with these little like round belly because they're, they're their guts are so inflamed and angry with all these worms in there. Vomiting, diarrhea. Now, vomiting and diarrhea are bad in puppies to begin with. 
So they, cause their blood glucose can drop really quickly. Um, they, and they can get really dehydrated really quickly. They're just little guys. Um, and these worms, if you imagine like an adult worm is like three to six inches long and there's a bunch of those living inside a puppy. Ugh, that's like, have you seen that movie Slither? That horror movie Slither? Oh, I just kind of grossed myself out a little bit. Okay, so, but it's a, li- it's, it's a little bit like that. Um, and in a severe infection like that, in a really bad worm infection, the, there can be so many that they can cause an intestinal obstruction. Uh, so it's definitely important to, to deworm your puppies. It's, it's important to regularly deworm your dogs anyway. I mean, you know, luckily they don't, they don't listen to this podcast, so they're not really going to get freaked out. But like if you knew, right? Like, I mean, if you, if you could, if your dog understood what was going on, he'd be like, yo, I do not need all these friends living in my gut. So very safe deworming. Um, the drugs are called anthelmintics and helminth literally means word. And so ant, A-N-T, anti, so anti-worm. So the anthelmintics usually used for, uh, for roundworms are fenbendazole, pyrantal, tends to be ones that you give to young dogs. Um, and that can take care of your problem. Now you're going to have to cut it off at the life cycle, um, in a, like the adult ones, the larva and the eggs, right? So usually deworming medication is given for a period of like three to five days and you have have to consistently give it. You can't like give it and be like, oh, oh, I like forgot. And then I gave it a day late because you're not, then you're kind of, you're breaking up the consistency of when that drug is in their system. And you got to get all the, get all the worms while they're good. Um, if you kind of break it up a little bit, the worms have a chance, that population has a chance to regenerate a little bit. So give your dewormers as prescribed. Now, most importantly, I'm sure you're all questioning, can humans get this? And the answer is, yes, you can. Uh, luckily, I feel like we're pretty good about washing our hands in the modern world. Um, that's really the most important thing. Uh, children are at risk for getting Toxicara canis because they're the ones who are sticking lots of things in their mouths that shouldn't be there and are maybe more likely to rummage their hands in dog feces and then eat a sandwich. Uh, so that you can, you absolutely can get it. Uh, kids can get it from the family dog, you know, cause dogs, dogs are not really sick most of the time, unless they're, unless they're young dogs and more susceptible to it. So you may not even, if you don't regularly deworm your dog, you may not even know that your dog has worms. Um, but then what happens is, remember how I was talking earlier, how like worms like to be where they are. So Toxicara canis doesn't really like to be in people. Um, it can get trapped in tissues where it's not supposed to be. It can get trapped in your liver. It can get trapped in your lungs. People can cough up these worms too. Same thing, same life cycle. You're still coughing up a bunch of worms and swallowing them to have them live in your guts. Um, but you, if you've got a severe infestation, you're going to be coughing up like larval worms, which is kind of disturbing. The monsters inside me, that happens with a couple different types of nematodes that, uh, that are parasitic in humans. But having all those worms in your lungs, it's like really not great. I mean, you can get a pneumonia uh, if you're immune compromised. Oh, that's a freaking nightmare. Um, you can even get, I mean, if these worms are like not happy in your body, they're trying to escape. Isn't that disturbing? So what they're going to do is they're going to burrow in tissues that they're not supposed to cause inflammation. You can get like huge inflammatory masses that can cause bowel obstruction. Um, they can migrate up your spinal cord into your brain and then they can't get out of your brain. So they're pissed off in there and your brain is pissed off. And so you can have seizures. Um, they can even end up in your eyes. So 
You don't really want that. Just wash your hands, wash your kids' hands, deworm your dog, and you'll be fine. Um, The next one that we're going to talk about is tapeworms. So tapeworms, they're a different different type of worm. They're not a nematode. Um, Tapeworms are um, called a cestode from uh, the phylum cestoda. These guys, if you look at them under the microscope, uh, th- these are the ones that you'll hear in uh, in veterinary technician school. They're called the plate of cookies is <laughs> what the eggs look like. And it does. It looks like a little oval with all these little circles within the oval. It does look like a plate of cookies, the little eggs under the microscope. By the way, these eggs and then also the eggs of Toxicara canis are like two types of ones that you're way supposed to be able to identify um, as an RVT working in veterinary medicine because you're going to be looking at poop and you got to be able to be like, hey, we got to give the right drug, whether you see a tapeworm egg or a roundworm egg because they're different types of drugs to treat those. Uh, Tapeworm are bigger. Um, The the one that we're talking about in particular, which is... uh, Dipilidium caninum. Dipilidium caninum. Yeah, it's kind of a fun one to say. Um, This one is 18 inches or so as an adult. It's like, yeah, it was big. Um, The way that these reproduce, okay, this is getting into some crazy horror movie stuff. So the way that tapeworms reproduce is they actually shed segments of themselves. So if you see a a tapeworm, it looks like all these little kind of little squares all put together into like a worm shape, like almost like kind of Lego pieces all together. And the reason why that is, is because they actually shed those segments, which are called proglottids, and they are filled with eggs. And you see those in the feces of dogs and cats. You'll see it as like little grains of rice. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to it as like cucumber seeds. And uh, you don't need a microscope to see those. Oh, no. You will see those suckers on the poop and they will be moving. They are on the move. They are wiggling around. They are like alive, those little suckers. And you'll see them like dried out like around the butthole of like infected cats and dogs. Oh, in fact, we had a cat that was really sick with, um, with heart disease, actually, that was in the hospital and he was feeling better and he was eating and he was this really big fat cat. And so he was, you know, doing well, like we're getting him out of heart failure. He's sitting in the oxygen cage. Everything's going cool. Um, but he was so big and fat that he didn't really like to go in and out of his litter box. He was just kind of like pee in the corner or poop in the corner. And he took this giant dump in the corner of the oxygen cage and that poop was alive with tapeworms. Like you hear this girl at CCU, she was like, oh my God. And we're like, what? What? And we all run in there and everybody had to look at the crawling poop. Everybody had to come in and look at the poop crawling with little white wriggling cucumber seed segments and be like, oh my God. And the, I think the cat was actually fairly satisfied with his audience. He just kind of sat there and watched the whole show like, yeah, you going to get that? Because that kind of smells up in here. Now, if you have a flea problem, you have a tapeworm problem. And this is how the life cycle of the tapeworm works. So flea larvae, so the proglottids, which are the little segments that we're all screaming at on the cat poop, those are filled with these little microscopic eggs. And you know what likes to eat those little microscopic eggs are flea larvae. So flea larvae will ingest those eggs 
And then the dog or the cat that has the fleas on them will then ingest the flea and just inevitably through grooming and scratching and all that. So when they ingest the flea, they're ingesting the eggs, which then turn into larvae, which then turn into the giant tapeworms, which then shed the segments. And then we start the life cycle all over again. Um, Again, these guys are growing in the small intestine. They are taking nutrients from the small intestine as well. So really, most of the time, these animals are also asymptomatic. Like that cat that was so satisfied with his poop audience, he was asymptomatic for tapeworms. Like we didn't, we didn't know he had tapeworms until he pooped them out. Um, there may be an ap- a change in appetite. Like if they really have a really severe infestation of them, they've really got a giant one, I suppose they could have an appetite increase because they're losing some nutrients in their small intestine. But even that doesn't really happen that often. And again, the question, can humans get these? Yes. <laughs> yes, you can. Um, again, kids are the ones who are susceptible because they're the ones who are going to be like, Ooh, what's this wriggly white thing and play with it and then not wash their hands and eat a sandwich. And then they have tapeworms. Uh, so you know, the, this, the, when they're in people, they can cause like vomiting and diarrhea for sure. Like gut disturbance type of things, but it's, it's, it's a curable thing. Like you can have some dewormer, uh, which is a different type of dewormer. You're looking for, um, something that's not going to kill the nematodes, but something that's going to kill the cestodes. So there's a drug called a uh, proziquantel that we give. Um, you can take it as a pill, uh, or you can give it as uh, an injection. Usually, it's an intramuscular injection that you do uh, with dogs and cats. Um, but you know, in emergency medicine, we're usually treating it. Uh, it's almost like it's a favor. You know, like oh, bad tapeworms. Ah, eh, just go ahead and give this injection. Because primarily with these infections, we're not seeing symptomatic, like clinical signs, and that's really in the parasite's best interest because the parasite doesn't want to make you so sick that you die because then it's going to die. Uh, so it makes sense that, uh, that these guys would want the dog or cat to like live about its daily life because it wants to live about its own daily life and not be disturbed. So the last, uh, the, the last parasite that, that I want to talk about is not, it's not really uh, a veterinary medicine parasite, but I just think it's so kind of interesting and cool and um, relevant to, to to our lives in this day and age. Um, and it's a hopeful story. So um, I want to talk about guinea worm. Now, guinea worm, thank God, is not something that we deal with in the United States. Uh, the gu- guinea worm, like Guinea, as in the, the part of Africa where this was, where this name came from, um, it's primarily in Africa. It's also in Southeast Asia. Is also where they see it. Uh, Sudan has a has a guinea worm uh, problem. But what's exciting is is guinea worm problem is kind of becoming a thing that is not anymore, which is great. Um, the, the, the word for this disease is dracunculiasis. Yeah. Dracunculiasis and dracun from like dragon, like the, like burning dragon 
because there's burning involved in here. So this is also a nematode. Um, this nematode likes to live part of its life in water fleas or a type of, a, they're a little tiny, 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 tiny little bug um, called a copepod. And these live in fresh water. And this is how you get it. Uh, you drink the water that has these water fleas in it and you're drinking, it, within the water fleas are are the uh is this nematode and so if you if you drink the water you drink the fleas you get the you get the worm now what this worm does is it migrates it migrates through your tissues uh it will create a blister on your kind of in your lower like your lower limb like it's usually like your knee or below and when this blister forms, what that is, it's the worm that's migrated through your leg tissue and the end of it is in that blister. Now, this is not a painless process. It is freaking painful, so painful that uh, it, people are not able to work. They're not able to walk properly. They, they just are, I mean, it puts entire villages, like it, like it debilitates entire villages, entire populations, because all of a sudden nobody can walk around. Like nobody can do the things that they need to do, like fetch water or build houses or work or anything. Um, this blister that you get on the lower half of your leg burns like crazy fire. This is where like the fire dragon name comes from, the Draco part of the Draconculiasis. Because it's burning, 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 all you want to do is put that burning blister into something cool like water. And when you do that, so you run to the edge of the water and you stick your burning blister in the water, the end of that worm, it bursts open and it releases like thousands upon thousands of eggs into the water, which then the water flea ingests. And then the people ingest the water flea and it starts the whole thing over. So this is like... This this worm was like really messing things up because you can't have all these like people in 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 a third world country where like they rely so heavily on being able to carry things and and being able to to work. I mean, no matter what little money that they can make with their you know doing whatever they can do, and they can't because they can't walk because they've got these freaking worms in their legs. And so they figured out the life cycle of this worm. They figured out that it was the water that was causing the problem. And so what we've done is we've put some preventative measures in place now to, to stop this from spreading. Um, the way that we prevent the spreading uh, now in, in Africa and especially in Sudan is that we are using water filters. So there, it's like a sand filter or a ceramic filter that filters out these little water fleas so that people don't eat them and therefore don't get the worm. Um, the other problem was preventing the already infected people from running with their burning legs into the water. Like that was a big problem. Like people are like, my leg is burning on fire. I seriously have to go and like put it somewhere. And people are like, no, don't do it. So just telling people actually didn't work. They started imposing fines. They started saying that they were going to put people in prison. If, if, you, if you were known to be infected with guinea worm and running towards the water to put your infected leg in it, you'd get into big trouble. And you know what? That freaking worked. So uh, they, they've now almost eradicated this. In fact, there were only between, um, I think it was within the last year, like up to like the, just the end of May, there were only two cases that were diagnosed in Africa, which is down from like, you know, 
1,000, 1,500 that were diagnosed, you know, 10 years ago. So that's kind of amazing. Um, there is no, besides these preventative measures, there's no other way to prevent it. Like there's no pill you can take. Um, there's no medication that you can take once you have the worm. Because if the worm dies in your leg, that's super bad because then it, it basically just like your tissue is just going to slough off. Like, I mean, it's going to cause a major infection. It's like having a dead animal in your leg. Um, there is one way that you could, uh, that, that you can solve this guinea worm problem that you can remove a guinea worm, which is after it bursts through that blister. So if you're in a controlled situation, so don't go to the village water source and put your burning leg in the water because we all know that's bad. Um, but if you put your burning blister leg into a bucket, let's say, um, and then that little worm head pokes out to go and release all of its eggs, which you want it to do because you want to get you want to empty it of all of its children. Um, you then can take a stick or a little piece of gauze and start winding that worm around the stick or around the gauze. And we're talking like, this can be like several feet of worm that you're dealing with here. So you can't do it quickly. You have to do it very slowly because you don't want a dead worm in your leg because dead worm means badness. So very slowly over a period of days, even weeks, you slowly are turning this stick on your leg with this worm around it to get it out of your leg. Um, now there is definitely can be residual damage from that worm being in your leg, but it, it, hopefully you're going to solve it by getting the offensive creature out of there. Or at least things make at least make things better for yourself. Now there's, um, do you hear that? That's Todd. Todd wants to be part of the guinea worm conversation. Um, there is actually records of, uh, of ancient Egyptians doing this, like this very thing, like having the worm and twisting the worm around the stick and getting it out of a leg. From 1500 BC, uh, they found like a papyrus roll that had this method of getting the worm out um, on there. They even think that, you know, the, the doctor symbol, which is the staff with the snake around it, that that could also be uh, a reference to the removal of the guinea worm. Because it's been, as long as humans have been around, the guinea worm has been around, which is kind of amazing. Um, Jimmy Carter is who we have to thank for eradicating this disease. There's like this Carter Foundation, and he has totally taken it upon himself to eradicate the guinea worm. He wants to see it eradicated in his lifetime. The man is like 92, right? And you know what's so crazy is that he may actually see that happen in his lifetime. How cool is that? All right, everybody, it is time for the Veterinary Technician Olympics. It's time for Venipuncture of the Week. <laughs> situation the other day. So um, this vein of puncture of the week 
absolutely has to go to my good friend, Amy, who unfortunately is no longer working full time with me at my hospital, but at the, but it's still around. So thank God. Um, I was in a surgery, an after hours surgery with this poor sick dog who had a necrotic spleen. Um, why was his spleen necrotic? Ugh, that I don't really know. But for whatever reason, this old Labrador Retriever's spleen had died in his body. And so uh, we were in, he needed emergency surgery. Um, it ended up being a, a bigger ordeal than anyone, than, than anybody anticipated. Um, he needed, he had really bad hypotension. His blood pressure was really low. Um, we couldn't control it with drugs. We couldn't control it with fluid boluses. So we just had to get in and out of there as fast as possible is actually what we ended up doing. So um, there were multiple people that needed to be involved. Originally, it was just me and the surgeon, but there was obviously, it was very apparent very quickly that there was too much for me to do to both monitor anesthesia and like wear sterile gloves to hold things out of the way and draw up um, CRIs of dopamine and dobutamine and all these blood pressure medications. So Amy came in to uh, to help me do that. And he had another doctor come in to sterilely scrub in and help him like hold organs out of the way while he tried to control bleeding. It was very dramatic. Yeah, it was like a Grey's Anatomy episode. And so um, the vein puncture of the week comes in because what we had to do was place a second catheter intra-op. Oh, and anyone who's had to do that, it's just such a pain. I mean, not only is the dog super, super sick, but it's also upside down, um, which can make things tricky. It's also underneath all these drapes, has all this monitoring equipment attached to it. So placing IV catheters in the OR, it's just not something you ever want to be doing. Um, But we had to because we had so many drugs that we had to deliver in addition to delivering lots of fluids. And so me and Amy did that together. So this is how this went. So there's so much that we have to do. So we're holding this dog, like he's on his back, right? This dog is on his back with his belly wide open with the doctors working in there. So we're basically standing on our heads, trying to get the catheter into his leg, which we're kind of like able to twist around a little bit, but you know, his, he's old and his veins are really crappy. So it takes us several sticks to do it. And I, and and the whole time, there's things that are going on that we need to do. Like the surgeon keeps saying, he needs to get this bolus. I need this instrument. I need this thing. So I'm literally holding this dog's leg with like the needle like in his leg while Amy runs around and gets equipment and then comes back to the leg so we can keep working, trying to get this catheter in there. It took us a really long time to get it done. But what happened? What ended up happening was um, we we switch. I could not get that catheter in, so we switched. And so I was holding the leg, and I tried to like turn it in a way that it was good. Meanwhile, I'm like watching the monitors, making sure the dog's like still alive, you know. And uh, Amy went with a smaller gauge catheter than we were using previously, thinking like his veins probably don't are the, like literally the width of the lumen of the catheter can't be as wide because his pressure is so bad. And she was able to get. Uh, a 20 gauge catheter into the front leg of this dog. Um, and it, it slid right in. It was amazing. It like made our lives so much easier and it made the tangle of IV lines so much better because then we had, uh, we had access on each one of his legs. So we kind of split things up and divvy things up. It was, it was such a miracle and it was so great. And Amy was so great during that whole thing. It was such a circus that whole time and the dog lived and it went home. Can you believe it? So everybody did a great job, but especially I felt like that upside down 20 gauge catheter in the hypotensive dog in the OR, absolutely gold medal, venipuncture of the week to Amy. 
Well, kids, you've survived another 30 or so minutes of Cat Disgusted. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Um, keep a lookout for the Cat Disgusted image and wherever that may fall. Um, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Oh, and by the way, don't come and see me at work.